Hey friends, welcome to the Next Step Leadership Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. I'm Tracy Reynolds, and my partner for the Next Step Journey is Chris Maxwell. Together we hope to inspire, assist, and create the confidence you need to take your next step in your personal growth, spiritual growth, vocation, or even your calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, come on, let's dive into this week's episode of Next Step Leadership. Welcome again to Next Step Leadership Podcast. I'm Chris Maxwell and uh, enjoy the conversations that I'm honored uh, to have with Tracy Reynolds. Uh, Tracy, I'm excited about our uh, guest today and uh, all that we will be learning from this conversation. You know, I, I say it regularly, but any day I make a new friend is a good day. And today's one of those days. Uh, we're blessed to have Peter Greer with us. He's the president and CEO of Hope International, which is a global Christ-centered economic developmental organization serving Africa, Asia, Latin America, and Eastern Europe. And he's uh, gone to, he has a business degree from Messiah University and uh, a master's degree from Harvard's Kennedy School. But he's been in this space working for a number of years, like 25 plus, and we're honored to have you with us this morning. Peter, welcome. Thanks so much. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, we are too. And it was great to meet you uh, when we met in person at the Evangelical Press Association. And uh, there were so many things that you said that was like, wow, that's, that's just what I needed. And, uh, and then listening to you in other ways since then and and then now, uh, this conversation we have with you, um, I just believe that um, your story is a story that needs to be heard by many people. Uh, yeah, so thanks again for joining us in this conversation. Well, let's go back a little bit and tell us a bit of your early life and how you came to know Christ and uh, how you became interested in the things you've been doing for most of your adult life. Yeah, I had the uh, enormous privilege of uh, being a pastor's kid growing up in Massachusetts and uh, it really was a privilege because I had uh, a father, a mother that were very involved in ministry, but there was not a disconnect between what they said on Sunday morning and how they lived on Monday morning. There was consistency about what it looks like for them to put Jesus at the center uh, of their lives and to try and do that as a family. And uh, yeah, we also had this interest in global missions. And you mentioned the, the degree at Messiah. That was definitely an area of interest of international business and, and travel and, and understanding this, this global world that we live. But I also had this interest in missions. And at the time, I didn't see how those two fit together. It was this interest in business and entrepreneurship. And it was this interest in missions. And I almost thought that those were two separate conversations, two separate activities that I might pursue. And I am so thankful that that is not the conversation today. There, there, there's been this wonderful way in which we've had a broader understanding that no, missions and business, those two actually do fit together. Uh, but for me, the moment where I first realized that was when I was studying in Moscow and had the opportunity to meet someone that was doing economic development in the former Soviet Union in 1995, and I was hooked. It was almost like a puzzle piece that those two puzzle pieces came together of the interest in entrepreneurship, the interest in business, and the interest in missions, and seeing how those two came together. And I've been enormously fortunate that that's 
what I've spent my career doing. So I started in Cambodia doing internal controls and fraud prevention, and then spent time in Rwanda running a microfinance institution, and then in Zimbabwe trying to figure out microfinance in a hyperinflationary environment, and now with Hope International operating in over 20 countries, trying to figure out how we use these tools of investment and entrepreneurship and trainings and capital and uh, do that in such a way that we are also supporting local churches and sharing the hope of Christ. So that's been my career. Well, the first time I ever heard the word micro-business, I thought somebody was looking at my bank account. Um, And I know it's more than that. So would you delve into what that is and why that's so important? Yeah, you know, I think there's this uh, general sense that we maybe don't state it quite so overtly, but but this belief that if people would just work a little harder, that then they would be able to see progress and you take these trips around the world, you see extreme poverty. And I've come to realize um, if you or I were born in that type of situation, our lives would look a whole lot like the people that we are spending time with. It is not work ethic It is not underlying character. For the vast majority, it is simply that they are born with a different set of opportunities. And one of those opportunities that perhaps we take for granted is the opportunity that you and I have. When we're ready to buy a home, what do we do? We can go to the bank and we can get a mortgage. Would you be able to buy a home in quite the same way if that were just not available? If if you're an entrepreneur and you have this desire to provide for your family, you've got the work ethic, you've got the hustle, you've got the drive, but you're living in a context that there is no one who's going to be able to invest in your business, how far would you be able to go? And so that's really what we realize is people around the world, uh, there are a lot of individuals with gifts and abilities, with capacity, but just have never had the opportunity to have that training, that mentoring, and also that financial investment of capital. So the whole microfinance movement really is how do we get capital to individuals uh, that typically are excluded from the formal financial sector? And the way that we do that is because those individuals might not have a credit history, might not have collateral, might not have the ability to prove cash flow, but they do have their character. They do have their relationships. And so it's a group-based model uh, where we're able to give individual loans, but in this group context. And uh, it's highly powerful. And uh, over Hope's history, you know, we've now loaned uh, $1.6 billion uh, invested in the dreams of families around the world with a 98% repayment rate. So it creates the system, the cycle of capital that gets lent out. It's repaid in a highly effective way. And then we're able to invest it in other entrepreneurs. So that's the the model. Um, Hope International did not come up with that model. Uh, An individual named Mohammed Yunus is oftentimes credited as the father of the modern microfinance movement. But we do it very much in a church-centric way and really emphasizing savings, uh, training, character, um, and again, the hope of the gospel just woven into everything that we do. Well, it sounds like a beautiful take on stewardship, but also trying to provide helpful help. Uh, and I, I've led many, many mission trips over the years, and I think we did good work, Peter, and with greatest intentions, but was a bit short-sighted in that we provided for them, maybe in a more of a benevolent way, but 
long term, maybe we weren't making a sustainable difference. We weren't able to help them help themselves, like you said, to, to get out of a cycle of poverty or just a cultural milieu that they weren't able to, to, to navigate without some help. Yeah, no, and I am so thankful for those short-term uh, mission trip experiences. They were so formative in my life. Uh, some of the most significant moments of kind of my spiritual growth was recognizing we are part of this global church, and, and what does it look like to live a life of not inward focus, but outward focus? What does it look like to really try and love our neighbors well? And so I am so thankful for those trips, those conversations that, that I had and, and many individuals have had. But the challenge with that is, in some ways, you can do the same thing in the same community, and you can start to wonder, are we really making a lasting impact? And in some ways, that was kind of the experience that I had, is I would return with this incredible experience, profound, impactful but you do wonder, did the situation for those that we were helping ever really change? And Bob Lupton, he wrote this book called Toxic Charity, and he says it in a bit of an extreme way. But, but he talks about this uh, cycle that oftentimes happens where you go and you give something away, and the first response is gratitude. And you go back a second year, and then there's uh, expectation. You go back a third year, and then there is entitlement, and then dependency. And, and this cycle of what initially was met with gratitude turns into this expectation in a way that does not really seem to have the impact. And, and I think for me, the huge piece on that is because it's an emphasis on those that are going without a question, without pausing uh, to say, but what do individuals need? And, and maybe we have been trying to have a model that is too much of trying to do something for, and maybe it's better to do with. Maybe it's better to shift from what we can do in a week to what can we do to come alongside the church that's going to be there for decades. And maybe we need to have some key shifts in how we think about these trips uh, so that we can make sure that our um, as, as Brian Fickert and Steve Corpett write, our, our help actually does help. Um, our help does not hurt. It actually helps. And I think that's been a wonderful journey. And again, that oftentimes leads individuals to job creation and economic development. Long term, if you want to help a church or community stand on its own two feet, be involved in its own generosity locally, uh, that requires some sort of income generation. And that's where we think these tools of savings groups and microfinance institutions have incredible power uh, to come alongside uh, the broader missions movement. And yeah, we would argue maybe too much emphasis on the relief, not enough on the development, too much emphasis on the short term, maybe not enough on the long term, and uh, maybe too much emphasis on those that are going and not enough recognizing of the gifts and abilities that God has already gifted that are in abundance in that community already. Mm, well, Peter, those are such uh, powerful points and um, an emphasis that we often neglect. Um, as, you're, as you're thinking about um, a large number of those in the audience uh, that, that Tracy and I have, the, we have ministered for the last almost two decades or more with the younger generation, uh, with college students. So what can you teach the younger leaders you know this generation that's um, they're they're going to college right now, or maybe they recently graduated. They're they're going into ministry. They have this sense of mission work, 
Um, but maybe the models uh, that have been offered or presented to them in the past are not the right fit for who they are, what they want to do, what they're gifted to do, but also what this world needs to have done. Talk to us about that. Yeah, well, I would just say anyone that has that desire, um, whether you are early in your life or a few more uh, trips around the track, uh, I, I love having time with individuals that have that hard posture of what can we do? What can we do to serve? Um, and intentionally, like, figuring it out. Um, I'm so hopeful about the next generation, though, because there is this entrepreneurial spirit, that there is this willingness to say, let's figure out new models. Um, and I, I think there's also this wonderful benefit, too, of, of those uh, early in their career walking with those that have had a little more experience and both going into that conversation, both going into that relationship, knowing that they both have something to teach and they yeah, both yeah. have something to learn. So I love the gift of multi-generational friendship, uh, especially when it comes to this. And I would just say, um, you know, for those that are maybe early on, um, maybe a little bit more listening before coming up with our action plans, uh, a little more understanding context. And when something seems uh, unusual, um, lead with questions, uh, not responses. Um, tell me more. Why is it that this is done? And tell me more about what are the gifts. Tell me about your dreams. Tell me about what it is so that we're not coming up with solutions that are ill-fitting because we've designed them in a very different context, in a very different place. And we talk a lot about the proximity gap. Um, how do we bring those two together between those that are eager to serve, those are eager to go, and those that are living and serving in a community? How can we close that proximity gap to bring them closer together? Um, anyway, I, mm. so I, I guess the, the, that's a lot of words to say. I love, I love the enthusiasm. Never would want to pour cold water on that. No, Keep no. going. Yeah, yeah. Fan the flame. And let's make sure that we're really having a posture of listening and learning as we go in and maybe having the first goal of a friendship. Uh, before mm -hmm. we go about programmatic design, mm -hmm. maybe we start with friendship, listening, learning, what is the context, loving others. And then maybe, a, maybe it's months, maybe it's a few years down the line. Then we can figure out what really is the way that we can partner together and make a meaningful impact. And those friendships are so vital. I mean, I look back at the, the people who influenced me. I mean, if they had not allowed space for me in their, in their lives, in their business, in their ministry, I would not have been able to do what I've done. And uh, in, in, one of, uh, in one of the uh, uh, sessions that I listened to you, you talked about um, constellation and uh, having the right mentors in our life, not just one person that we are listening to, working for, or learning from. Talk to us about that. And we have the right, the right people speaking into our lives. Yeah, well, this was a book that I was given early on. Uh, it was a NavPress book. Um, and when I started at Hope, I was 29 years old. And the one thing that I knew is I didn't know <laughs> how to have... <laughs> How do I lead this organization? What does this look like? I remember thinking, they are crazy. The board of directors, they're going to hire me for this role at this age to be executive director of, of this institution. Uh, and I don't know. I, I hope I never think that I figured it out. I've been with Hope for now almost 20 years. But there is so much more to figure out. So I guess that, that was, a, that was a, um, maybe the right posture to come in with, to know that I didn't know. 
But then what do we do with that? Do we feel overwhelmed or do we say, I can't do this? Or do we say, let's surround ourselves with an incredible group of mentors? Uh, And I grew up with this model of kind of the Paul and Timothy. And the idea was find that one mentor. Mentor was singular. It was not plural. And the craziest thing, though, is you start, you know, looking at um, individuals you are in relationship and you realize I really admire how they are in this part of their life but I'm not exactly sure on, on this part and so the, really the constellation mentoring idea is simply break it up um, have have more clarity in that and have a full constellation of mentors so for me, I identified these seven years, uh, seven areas that, that I wanted to, to grow in. Um, so I wanted to make sure I have someone. How do I scale an organization? I, I want to learn about finance. I want to make sure that I am growing spiritually. I want to make sure that I am growing in my family um, and to have an individual in those seven areas. And then to have 3 a.m. friends, those individuals that if it's 3 a.m., I can call them and I know they're going to show up no matter where in the world I am. Um, and then to have those that I'm pouring into uh, as well. So again, it just takes this one line of mentoring, um, Paul Timothy, and says, let's have a bigger, broader context about what that looks like. And that has been much more than graduate school, much more than any conference, much more than any event. That model of mentoring has been so enriching uh, to me. And I would say, um, yeah, some of the lifelong friendships have come through this constellation mentoring model. I love that. I'm thinking not just Paul Timothy, but Paul Silas, Paul Barnabas, Paul John Mark, etc. And it takes a, a village to, to not just raise a child, but just to learn the things that God wants us to learn. Uh, so you're talking about partnership with other people. I am not just listening to voices, but I'm also pouring out life into other people, right? So um, I was introduced to a concept called reverse mentoring, and I think it was Tim Elmore that first shared this with me, and it was where we're looking for the younger people around us to help us with everything from how to run my iPhone to uh, run the Focusrite mixer in front of me, you know, all the things that I don't know what to do. And I used to be so embarrassed to ask my children, um, it, but dropping my pride and saying, could you help me with this? Have you experienced some of that, Peter? Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's the gift in friendship. And I just love this line uh, that everyone has something to give and everyone has something they need to receive. And that is true in the realm of mentoring. And it also is in the realm of the work that we do globally. Do we go in saying, here's what I can give only? Or do we also go in and say, would you teach me? I've been fascinated um, at the role of prayer in the global church. Been uh, working on a book on that for the last year. And it has been absolutely incredible to spend time with some of our global colleagues learning uh, about what it looks like to have cultures of prayer in organizations and in churches and in leaders' lives. Um, So I think that concept of going in saying, yeah, what do I have that I can give? Um, And what is it uh, that I can receive? What is it that I can learn and go into every single relationship, assuming that it's going to be some of both ways? Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. that is so good. Well, we're going to have a, another conversation with you for the next uh, podcast. But uh, before we finish this one, uh, just tell our audience 
how they can connect with you, how they can find out about uh, about the ministry and what you're doing. Yeah, no, thanks so much. And if I could be of any help, uh, so happy to do it with anyone that's on their journey. So if you want to learn more about the microfinance and church-based savings group model and economic development, you can go to hopeinternational.org. And if you want to learn about uh, some of the books uh, that we've written, some of these ideas, we did one that includes information on the mentoring model. It's built around succession, but you can learn about those books at peterkgreer.com as well. And what is the title of that book about the mentoring uh, so that one is with, written with Doug Fagerstrom from uh, Marketplace Chaplains, but uh, that is called Succession. So thinking about oh. how do we, all of us, regardless of where we are in the organization, how do we think beyond ourselves and pour into the next generation of leaders? Well, that's perfect. And that's a great way to end this first conversation with you as we think of Succession, because our goal uh, in this podcast, in these in these conversations that we have, is to find ways to make our next steps our best steps. Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, a weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you joined us. You can find us on your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Check out our show notes for more information regarding guest contact information. Tracy Reynolds' new book, Second Chair Leadership, How to Serve, Thrive, and Lead from Where You Play, is available now at ctracyreynolds.com or Amazon. Chris Maxwell's 11th book, Equilibrium, 31 Ways to Stay Balanced on Life's Uneven Services, is available now at chrismaxwell.me or Amazon, where you can find all of Chris's previous books as well. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. You can find their musical releases at casualamericans.com or your favorite music supplier. We release Next Step Leadership each Thursday, so join us again next week on the Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step.